you're here. What a great movement of God. You can be seated. I tell you what, I've been so excited about this sermon series and what God's going to do through it. And I'm excited about having you today. And uh, I'm just believing God is going to continue to do great things. Huh? God is in the house. Amen? amen. Come on, church. God is in the house. Amen. 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 Praise God. Well, we just want to welcome you today. I want to welcome everybody online. We're so glad that you've joined us. And uh, I know it started a little bit late, but we're glad you're with us now. And uh, I'm glad that everybody is here with us in this room. I'm going to tell you, uh, I have been working on this series uh, pretty much all summer long, and I've been so excited to share it with you. And I'll let you in on a little secret. I've never been in my uh, almost 30 years of pastoral ministry, I've never been more prepared for a message than I am today, and I've never felt less prepared for a message series than I am today because there's just so much that I want to tell you. And my prayer this morning as I was, as I was praying to God and reading over my message and, and uh, adding and taking away still today, just, just, trying to, just trying to make it so it's something that, that can really get across the heart of God. My prayer is today that I will just somehow help you get a picture into what it is that God has is for, in store for us and what his desire is for us. In our scripture comes out of Acts chapter 15, verse 16. And 17, and it's there in your notes. Would you stand as I read the scripture together? It says, After this, I will return and will build again the tabernacle. Now, that word tabernacle literally means tent. I will rebuild the tent of David, which has fallen down. And I will build again the ruins, therefore, and I will set it up that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things. I want you to know that God has done things in the past. He's doing things now. He wants to do things in the future. And it all comes down to us following his plan and preparing our house to be God's favorite house. That's what I want to talk about. Before I do, would you just bow your heads and let's pray. Father, I pray that you would just speak into our hearts today, your plan and your will and your word. I pray, God, that you would just continue to move in our hearts. Thank you for such a wonderful time of singing. And Lord, as we continue to worship you through message, I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. What does it take to be called God's favorite house? That's the question I want to ask during this series as we look into the word of God and as we look into the, the heart of God, I want to ask that question and, and through uh, God's word, I want to, uh, God willing, answer that question and help us understand how everyone in this room can be God's favorite house. You say, well, how can that be? Doesn't God have a perfectly favored house? Well, yes, but we're kind of thinking two-dimensional when we think that way. We need to think three or four or five-dimensional when we think of God who is everywhere and can do all things. Amen. Let me just illustrate it this way. As many of you know, I grew up in South Florida, and some of my fondest memories are of those times there in South Florida. In fact, I brought some pictures along with me. Uh, one time I was going down to uh, uh, Florida with my family, and uh, I, I took them to my neighborhood, and I started showing them where I grew up. I started showing them all of the, the places where I were, uh, went to school and where I lived, and 
And so the first house I showed them was this one. Uh, put it up on your screen there. That's the first house we lived in. Uh, we called it our nature trail, but we loved it. <laughs> I mean, there was all kinds of, you, you know, it's South Florida. There was bugs everywhere. Well, we went in there and, and cleaned it out. In fact, if you'll notice over on the right side, right of the red door, I don't know if our door was red. I don't think it was. But that window there, that was my bedroom. But you have to know that wasn't even there. That was a carport. So when we moved into this house, it was a two bedroom, I think one bathroom little house with two parents and four kids. Come on, can I tell you, how many of you know that's, that's a tight fit right there? So uh, my dad filled in that carport and me and Kevin, my older brother, we roomed together in that room and then Debbie and my little brother Tim, they roomed in the other room and then mom and dad had the third bedroom. I mean, we had it made, right? And so I'm telling all this story to my family and they're like, oh yeah, that's nice, that's nice, that's great. But you know, I grew up, this house is about a mile from the beach. So they're going, that's real nice, dad, but, but could we go to the beach? Would that be all right? I said, no, 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 wait. I have another house to show you because we moved around the corner and we moved into this house. Same story. They're like, oh, really? Yeah, the, the door there actually was a carport. And same deal. Didn't have enough bedrooms, didn't have enough living rooms. So dad, he went ahead and filled in the carport, made a living room. And now I'm telling them this story and I'm so excited about it. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't take them inside. I was too afraid to knock on the door. But I said, you know, you go inside and I can tell them everything about the house. Why? Because I had so many great memories of, of living in that house and what happened happened in the house. In fact, some of the greatest memories that I had was spending time with family right there in that carport that we filled in. That ended up being the living room, and we would hang out there, and we would listen to the stereo. My dad was always big into music, and he would have the big Bose system, and we would listen to songs and all kinds of stuff. We didn't have a TV, so we listened to music. Amen? And so by now, they're like, oh, come on, Dad. Can we, can we just go to the beach? I'm like, no, you don't understand. L let me tell you about how fun it was here. We had like 35 or 40 kids that played together on this corner every night. We would play hide-and-seek until after dark, and we would go right to that pole. There's a picture of it right there. That was base. That pole was always base. It's still there. And we'd play hide-and-seek, and someone would be at base, and they'd count, and everybody would go run. And, and uh, you know, then we'd hide behind the houses, and we'd throw rotten grapefruits and rotten oranges. Well, I never did that. I was a perfect child but anyway and so they're like oh that's nice dad that's great but we're no no there's more if you look a little closer you'll see there's a, a little poured concrete corner it's a little crack now can you see that in fact let's zoom in a little bit more there it is you will see that they poured that if I if I've got my math right about 40 years ago they poured this and I wrote my name in that concrete and I'm telling them all about this and like where I don't see it yeah you got to look closer do you see it there's the I G G S you know I got to thinking when I put that picture up they probably won't see it either so there it is it's there my name is still on the corner of Southeast Morning Street in Ella Avenue well you're probably as bored as they were right and you're probably saying, what in the world is the point? Dad, come on, can we go to the beach? And you're like, come on, pastor, can we get to the point? Absolutely. I want you to understand this. Where our memories are is where our heart is also. And you see, God chose a house where I believe he had some of the fondest and greatest memories. And then he began to weave into history a way that every one of us can duplicate, can, can, can rebuild, can have that perfect place of communion with God. That's the picture of this entire series. So in our text today, we've read, I believe, the very heart of God where he wants to rebuild his temple. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write these things down. 
The first one is this. I believe that as I look into Scripture and I look into uh, uh, the, the, the worship in the Old Testament and I look at the, 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 the worship in the New Testament, I believe that God is more interested in our passion than he is in a palace. I really do. I believe that God is more interested in me loving him than where it is that I love him. Uh, let, let me help you understand. Uh, so many times we as Christians, we get caught up in the fact that our church, you know, has, has, a, has the best look. You know, everything looks nice and, and the colors are beautiful. And, and, and no, no, you should see this church. And have you ever been to that church? And look, oh, you should see the building. Oh, you should see that. And that's great. I love buildings. In fact, I believe that our church building is awesome. Don't you? I believe. And in, fact, in fact, I took this picture this morning. That is this morning's sunrise over the front of our church. How many of you know that's a beautiful sight right there? Amen. How many of you are thankful? Come on. How many of you are thankful for the building? that we have to worship God in. I am. But you have to understand, this is just a building. I was outside taking that picture. No one was in here. So the worship was happening somewhere else. And we have to be very careful not to make it about a building. I want you to know that God does not come down to a place because of how much it's worth or how great it looks or even, or even how, uh, how it's laid out or, or how expensive it was. I believe that God comes down based on the worship in the building, not the building of the worship. In fact, you need to write that down somewhere in your notes. I believe that God comes down based on the worship in the building, not the building of the worship. So allow me to illustrate to you this morning. There were some, there were three uh, different tabernacles, temples that the Bible talks about in the Old Testament. The first one he talks about is the house of Moses. And the house of Moses was awesome. There was a, a, there was a beautiful uh, a, a picture of, of, of what God designed and, and God told them exactly how to, to build this temple. And so as you would walk into the tabernacle, you would enter into the courtyard and you would find the place for sacrifice and you would find uh, the place to, to sacrifice your animals and, and, and uh, you would find a, a, what was called the laver of bronze where you would wash your hands and it was kind of signified the washing of, of your sins away. And God gave in many, many, uh, uh, many, many verses and just spent so much time letting Moses know exactly how he wanted this tabernacle to look. He was so in tune with, with how it should look. And, and what we have to realize is that although Moses' temple was a tent, it was more than a tent. It was an awesome display of beauty and craftsmanship. And by all means, nothing could be compared uh, to anything that God designed. So you have to know that the, the inside the courtroom with the, with the table of showbread and, and uh, the, the, uh, uh, the, the candelabra and, and uh, the, the place of incense, it was so beautiful. But behind the veil was the high place. It was the, the, the holy place. It was the place where only one person could enter. It was where the Ark of the Covenant dwelt. And in that day, there was only one guy. Everyone say one guy. There was only one guy that could actually enter into the presence of God. One guy. But you see, Moses took the example of God and took the, uh, took the, the, the teaching of God and built this beautiful tabernacle. And Moses was a great man of faith. In fact, I put in your notes from Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, 
refused to be known as a son of Pharaoh's daughter. You remember the story where his mom put him in the little, in, in the little uh, boat and he floated down the, the river and, and Pharaoh's daughter found him and adopted him and he grew up in the house and, and he said, no, that's not who I am. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He preserved because, or he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. And by faith, he kept the Passover and the application of the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. And we see that Moses was a great man of faith and you know, when you think about God rebuilding the temple, it would make perfect sense that if God said, I'm going to rebuild my temple, that he would say, I'm going to rebuild the temple of Moses, wouldn't it? But maybe even more so would be Solomon's temple. That is the temple that, that David's son built. Solomon's house was awesome. We find in 1 Kings chapter 6 that God's house that Solomon built was absolutely the most fantastic wonder of that time. And even in our day would be considered an architectural phenomenon. Not to mention that it would be priceless. In fact, do you know that while David was king, he was collecting a lot of stuff to build the temple once his son Solomon built the temple. And it says in scripture that he collected so much brass or so much bronze that they couldn't even weigh it. There was too much for them to even weigh. So the gold and the silver and the bronze and the brass and, and, and the beautiful uh, walls and temple, it was a gorgeous place to worship. Yet God, in chapter 15 of Acts that we read earlier, declared, I will return and build again the temple of David. I will rebuild the temple of David. Now, you know, that wouldn't be what I would guess he would say. So we have to ask, why did he choose the temple of David? Why did he choose the tabernacle, the tent of David? Well, I want you to know that David's house was awesome. But it was awesome for a different reason. We find in 1 Corinthians or 1 Chronicles 16, they brought the ark of God and set it inside the tent that David had pitched for it and presented burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before God. You know, we ask, why did God choose David's tent? Why did God choose David's tabernacle? I'll tell you why. Because God is not looking for a building that will get his glory. God is not looking for a great edifice that get his glory. In fact, when you look at this depiction of David's temple, in fact, this is really the only good depiction that I could find. I mean, I found all kinds of depictions of Moses' tabernacle online, and I found all kinds of depictions of Solomon's temple, but this is the only good one that was even good enough for me to put up on the screen. It was simple. It was a tent. It was something that was, that was just there in, other, in, in, in order for people to worship. But there was something very special about this, that Moses' temp, tabernacle and Solomon's tabernacle did not have. You see, earlier I told you that in, in Moses' uh, tabernacle, and this was also true in the tabernacle in the temple of Solomon, there was a veil that separated the worshipers from the ark. But in David's temple, there was no veil. It was a place of worship. And do you know that David, when he brought the temple back to Jerusalem, 
He set up a 24-7 time of praise and worship for people to come and worship God. In fact, the musicians and the priests, they would come and sing, and the scribes would sit alongside, and they would write these down. And that's where a lot of our songs have come from that we read in Scripture. When you read the book of Psalms and you see all of the the different songs that were written, a lot of those were written out of the the tabernacle of David where they would come during this 24-7 time of worship, and they would just praise God in the presence of God. You see, God is not looking for a man that will get awarded great awards or a building for, for building something awesome. God is looking for men and women that will stand against the evil because God is not looking for passion. He's, looking, he's not looking for a palace. He's looking for passion. The second thing I want you to see if you're taking notes is God is more interested in the builder than he is in the building. God is more interested in the builder than he is in the building. It's not a building, it's a builder that God is interested in. You see, David was a man after God's own heart. You might be saying, why is it that, that uh, God didn't choose those other tabernacles? God chose a man who loved God with all of his heart. God had a favorite house, and that house was the house that David built. The most powerful component of David's tabernacle began long before the actual tent was born. It started out in a pasture tending sheep. As he would give his songs and play his harp and worship God and, and love God. In fact, when, when uh, uh, Samuel came to choose a king, when he came to, to choose a king, he went through all seven brothers that David had before he ever got to David. And every time God said, no, this isn't the one. Well, what do you mean this isn't the one? He looks like a king. He carries himself like a king. This, is, this, guy, this has got to be him. No. And so he'd move down the line. One, two, three, four, all the way, seven guys. And finally said, is this all you have? There's got to be someone else. Oh, yeah. There's a little boy tending sheep, but you don't want to see him. And David comes up. And he's anointed. And he's declared someone who is after God's own heart. I want you to look at Acts chapter 13, verse 22. And when he had removed him, talking about Saul, King Saul, He raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David in the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart. Underline that. A man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all of my will. David was a man after God's heart. Do you know what God's favorite house is? God's favorite house is a house that is filled with a heart for God. David, God's favorite house is a place where we've come to worship, where we've come to lift our voices, where we've come to raise our hands, where we've come to worship Him, where we've come to lift our hearts, where we've come to, to do something uh, mighty and to receive something mighty from God. And in the Old Testament, we find that when Moses was to build the Ark of the Covenant, he was to place in the outer court, then the holy place, and even further in the Holy of Holies. But in David's tabernacle, there was nothing keeping the people from the Ark of the Covenant. It was a constant thing 
that, that David had. He built a, an atmosphere of worship. And I believe that God is calling us as a church that, to build an atmosphere of worship, to build an atmosphere of surrender and total commitment to God. I believe that it is our call as a church to be a place who is a place of worship. I believe it is a call of every one of us as individual Christians to be a place of worship. God is calling us to be a place, his favorite house. You are called to be God's favorite house. Tell the person beside you, I'm supposed to be God's favorite house. You say, well, how can I be God's favorite house? You be God's favorite house by having a heart for him because God is not looking for, uh, is not looking for a palace. He's looking for passion. God is more interested in the builder than he is the building. Number three, God is more interested in pursuing you than you, than you are in pursuing him. I want you to understand what I'm saying here. You are hopefully interested in pursuing God or you wouldn't be here in this room this morning. You wouldn't be watching online right now if you are interested somehow in growing in your worship with God in growing in your relationship with God you would have stayed home and you would have stayed in bed it would have been much easier to do that can I get a good amen but you know what? We came out because there's something that's tugging at our heart. Something that we know that is greater than us. Something that we know that is bigger than us. Someone that we know has this all handled in the middle of 2020, which I'm ready to put behind us. Amen? And in the middle of 2020, we know there's a God that's got this handled. How many of you believe that this morning? We declare that in Jesus' name. We declare that in Jesus' name. And God is looking for a house that will say, God is number one in this place. There is no separation. I'm not going to put a veil of work in front of God. I'm not going to put a veil of family in front of God. I'm not going to put a veil of my comfort zone in front of God. I'm not going to put a veil of that hidden sin in front of God. I'm going to let God rip away that veil and be exposed to the innermost part of my being. We, God is looking for people who are interested in pursuing him but I want you to know something our capacity to want to pursue him could never get anywhere near the capacity of God's desire to pursue you there's not one person in this room that has hung on a cross and died for anyone else am I right but God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish. God so much loved you, was so willing to pursue you, was so willing to chase you, was so willing to do whatever he had to do to find you, that he gave his only son on the cross. You see, when Jesus died, that veil was torn. The veil was in Moses' tabernacle, and then David brought the tabernacle to Jerusalem where there was no veil, and they enjoyed 36 years of amazing worship 24-7, but then that began to break down and once the temple was built again there was a veil and it wasn't until many many years later that Jesus came on the scene and he gave his life and when he died that veil was torn in two forever and ever and ever amen so that every person in this room can have direct access to the God of glory amen come on if I'm not careful I'm going to get excited this morning and start preaching We have the description of what took place in Matthew 27 when this happened. Look what it says. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, say at that moment. At that 
At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life, and they came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Now listen, we we are excited about pursuing God, but we will never be as excited as God is to pursue us. How do I know? because when that happened when Jesus died that veil was torn in two and God was so excited he began to run to us so so desperately and so so excitingly that literally people who are in the graves rose up out of the grave I mean it was so powerful that moment when man and God were brought together in holy communion and God wants you so desperately he's pursuing you he's chasing after you this message in this series came out of a book that I read many years ago. This, the, actually, it, it started with that book, and I'll just tell you the story. I took these pictures uh, early this summer when I went to South Florida to see my family and to have some time alone with God and, and to pray about God want, what God wanted me to preach uh, in, in, in the fall of this year. And I was just trying to, to find the heart of God. And, and uh, there was an author that I was looking for. And, and I don't even remember his name, but I, I, it was a certain author. And, and some of the books were out of print. And so I'd been to all kinds of different uh, used bookstores uh, here in, in the Columbus area and, and uh, couldn't find anything. I'd even been to a big uh, used bookstore in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee called McKay's Books. And some of you that are watching online, maybe you've heard of that. Couldn't find anything. And so uh, I was praying beside uh, uh, in my special place down in, in Florida one morning. And God said, why don't you look around here? I said, well, I don't know of any used bookstores around here. And uh, he said, well, why don't you look? And so I, I got on Google and, and just typed in used bookstores. And do you know that not five minutes from where I was praying, I found a used bookstore that's probably been there since before I was ever born, grew up down there. I never even knew this store existed. And so I put it in and I drove up to the place and, and, uh, oh no, it's closed. You know, it was dirt. The virus was just getting started and, and no, the lady walked out and she said, you know, we're not open yet, but you can come on in. I said, okay, I will. And so I said, where are your used? I just knew I was going to find this book that I was looking for by this author. I said, where are your used, uh, Christian books right back there. So I went back and I began to look and I scanned and I scanned and I scanned and something caught my eye. Now I know that sometimes you think things are coincidences, but I also think there's God, God incidences. Amen. And what caught my eye was not the author I was looking for. It was an author by a book I'd read many years ago called God Chasers by Tommy Tenney. But that wasn't the book. It was a book I'd never heard of by Tommy Tenney. And it said God's favorite house. God said, buy that book. And it's been in me ever since. I'm going to tell you. God wants to say something to us here at Capital City Church. He's got something for us that, that's far bigger than us. He's got something for us that's far greater than we can even contain. We better get ready because I believe God wants to do something through us and in us individually and in a church. He's been preparing us. He's been paving the way. He's been doing such amazing things. And I want you to understand that this is not by accident at all. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't feel one bit like I'm doing any justice to the subject matter. But my heart is that you see God's heart 
and know that God is pursuing you. God is more interested in pursuing you than you are in pursuing him. I want you to know that what we want here is for God to show up. I'm not interested in being here by myself. I'm not interested in being here and just saying some words and and going home. We just have to ask ourselves: is God in the house? I believe that the most, if not, that most, if not all of us would love to see God show up on the scene. But when he comes, do we really know how to handle it? What I want to do during this series is help us prepare our hearts to be in a place and to be ready for when God shows up. Because what happens to most of the time is that God will show up and we'll sing some songs, we'll sing some praise and worship, we'll hear the word, and then we'll say, you know what, uh, it's been about an hour or so, I gotta go. If I don't hurry up, I'm not gonna beat the Baptist to the buffet. <laughs> we can't have that. And so that we go to the buffet, or, or we go to Dairy Queen, or we go grab some Mexican, and we talk about, well, wasn't that a good service? Wasn't that great how God showed up? Wasn't that great how God was there? Sometimes, have you ever wondered? Have you ever wondered if God is back here going, where'd they go? I just got it started. Now, I'm not not advocating that we start having church 24 hours, seven days a week. That's just not possible. But I've been praying, God, how can we build an atmosphere of worship, not just in this room, not just for an hour, hour and a half on Sunday morning, but how can we build an atmosphere of worship in every one of our lives 24-7 when we go to work and when we go home and when we go to the grocery store, no matter where we are, that we have this heart for God, that we have this heart for worship. Because that's what it was about David. He wanted more and more and more of God. And that's what God is calling for us to do. And when, they, when Jesus gave his life on the cross, he gave us direct access to that no matter where we are. Because now you are the temple. In fact, 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? That means wherever you go, when God lives in you, you take the church with you. You take God with you. You are the church. Come on, tell somebody. You are the church. <laughs> you are the church. And then tell them... Now just act like it. Amen. (laughs) Oh my goodness. I'm not saying that we should uh, just be here 24 seven. I will say that the typical worship place of any church is probably the least used room, probably in town, maybe an hour or two a week. So what do we do with that? We build a place of worship. We build a place of worship. So I purposefully kept my sermon a little bit less today. I just wanted to kind of give you an introduction of where we're headed, where my heart is, and where I believe, what I believe God wants to tell us. And the reason I did that is because I want us to just spend a little bit of time. And Daniel, just whatever song you feel led to lead, this isn't dismissal time. I want us to just, right now, begin this series by turning our heart 
towards pursuing God. So I'm going to ask the praise team to come at this time. And I'm going to ask you to just assume the posture of worship. And can we just worship God together? Can we lift our hearts to him? And can we truly be someone who has a heart for God? with me. I search the world. I search the world. But it couldn't fill me. Man's empty grace and treasures that fade are never enough. But then you came There's nothing
just give you one little more piece of the story. David decided it was time for him to bring the ark to Jerusalem. Didn't do it right. The first time they loaded it onto a cart. Knew that they were supposed to carry it. They loaded it onto a cart and it began to tip and one of the guys reached out and touched it and it, he actually died because of it. The ark was so, so holy. So they left it there in that town at Obed-Edom. They went on back to Jerusalem. David began to hear about the blessings. You know, Obed-Edom was blessing. I mean, their, their chickens were laying more eggs and their cows were having more cows and, and uh, their, their daughters were getting better looking. I mean, it was great, you know. So I had to go get this thing. So they went back. Listen, they went back to get to get the altar to bring back to Jerusalem. So when they got to get the ark, they carried it the right way, and the priest carried it. And every six paces, they would stop, and they would give a sacrifice to the Lord. Then they would go another six paces. Stop, and they would worship God and give a sacrifice then they would go another six paces and they would stop and they would give a sacrifice and worship God and another six paces and all the way to Jerusalem there was a trail of blood and worship and sacrifice because they wanted to let God know we're not going to do it wrong again this time we're going to confess anything that we have. We're going to give you all of our shortcomings. We're going to give you all of ourselves and we're going to worship you. And when he got to Jerusalem, there was a parade of dancing and, and David was dancing before the Lord and he was worshiping. Couldn't wait to see what God was going to do. And his wife was looking on from a window above and said, what in the world are you doing? He said, you haven't seen anything yet. God has some great store. You know, sometimes we're tempted to look at the worshipers around us. And maybe you're not a hand raiser. That's okay. We don't all have to be hand raisers. But you don't know what kind of sacrifice and what kind of, what kind of blood and what kind of worship it took to get them to the place where they are right now, to this place of worship. And perhaps they can't help but raise their hands because of a great God. Maybe they can't help but clap because they love God. Maybe they have to sing at the top of their lungs. Listen, we need to quit worrying about what people think about us. We need to be ready to worship God. To apart, He turns, He turns bones into armies. He turns seas into armies. And He wants to take wants to take what you're going through today and use it for his glory let's just let's lift our hearts let's lift our hearts like we never had before you turn morning to dancing you give beauty for ashes you turn shame into glory
something I don't think I've ever done as a pastor at the end of a service. I'm I'm not going to dismiss this. I'd like us to sing the goodness of God and let me be clear as your heart is full and as you feel led you can go. I want to remind you that we're not passing offering plates. The offering, you can continue to worship Him by giving your offering at a box at each of the exits. Um, but I think we just need to create a place of worship for a little bit. Some of you have to go. I understand that. You have obligations. I would just ask you if you, if you have to go, slip out and let the doors close behind you so that whoever's in this room can just continue to worship. Some of you may feel encouraged to come up to the altar. I'm going to tell you, when I put the mic down, I'm going to come and I'm just going to pray at this altar and I'm going to ask God to build in me His house and to build in Capital City Church His house. You can sit, you can stand, you can kneel, you can come to the altar. If you must go, I understand. We've still got 15 minutes till we're normally gone. But I just think we just need to worship God. I, I think we need to not have... Let's put down the script and let's let God move in our hearts. Let's turn it over to God. You can do it right where you're sitting, right where you're standing. You can do it at the altar. You can do it as you sing. You can do it as you raise your hand. But I just want to get out of God's way. And let God do what God wants to do. Amen. And when all hearts are clear, then we'll know. Amen. Can we go sing that song, Goodness of God? And then as God leads you.
As you go, go in peace. 